Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Please check out our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and check out our collection of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. Today, we're going to have an interesting chat, and this is going to cover whether you want to call it the online fluff of entrepreneurship or the most important important factor to launch a successful business. We're actually going to cover both of those things, but we're going to start with a heavy emphasis on the online fluff of entrepreneurship, what you need to know, what you need to avoid, and what you need to be able to focus on so that you can have a successful business venture. And I thought this would be a great conversation, especially in light of my own book, which is called Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, and how it focuses on those little things that get burrowed beneath the surface, how to surface those issues so you have the greener grass on your side of the fence, and how sometimes looking at minimalist principles will enable you to have maximum results. Now, to share with us today on how to cut through some of this, I have with us a gentleman named Mario Knopfel, and let me just tell you a little bit about him. He bootstrapped his first business at the age of 22. He made his first million in year one and eight figures by year two. Since then, Mario has scaled to over 30 countries and has launched many other companies, including a consulting business bootstrapped to seven figures in less than six months. Mario has been through some extremely difficult black swan events that would break down any entrepreneur and bankrupt the business. So here we are, Mario is now bootstrapping another seven-figure business, documenting the entire process from the beginning to allow entrepreneurs full access to all marketing, logistic products, operational and financial decisions, including both failures and successes. And I'm so happy today that we're going to get just a glimpse of what's going on. So Mario Knopfel, come on in. The weather's fine. Adam, thank you for giving me the opportunity to have a chat with you. All right, so I read off your bio there, and it kind of gives the skeleton view of what some of the steps were in your progression, but what we like to do here, because I imagine we have some folks who are currently leaning in, they have a separate browser tab open, and they're looking up this Mario Knopfel, and they're trying to figure out exactly who he is. So tell us about him and about his journey from a personal perspective, what's brought Mario to where he is now, serving business creators from the intersection of his brilliance and his passion. Sure. First, I, I heard you mention minimalism about your new book. I can't wait to touch on that because I love the concept of simplicity yes. in everything I do in business. So I can talk about that for 10 hours if you like, but I know the limit is one hour. About what I've done, so if someone's Googling me, first you've got to spell my last name. It's, it's N for Nelly, A-W-F for Fred, A-L. Google as much as you like. Give you um, a small summary I've been you know, very private for a long time. Since I started my first business, I was young, at least in my eyes, I was, I was young. I didn't know many young entrepreneurs at the time. So I was 22, that was back in 2012, I think it is. Uh, getting, I think it's 2012, 2013. Got to seven figures in the first year, that was e-commerce. And then scaled to eight figures by the second year. Before that, I was doing a lot of door knocking. 
So that's where I built up my confidence and my sales skills, my copywriting skills. Um, but I had no, no knowledge about online sales, e-commerce. I was doing banking and finance, traditional university student. Um, the only reason I got into entrepreneurship is I, read a, I listened to a video of a young boy. Uh, his name was Farah Gray. And he made his first million dollars at 13 years old. I said to my mind, I, I was thinking back then, 22 still young. And I can, I'll make my millions in my 30s. But to see someone at 13 making his first million, I'm like, screw that. Left university and um, I started uh, knocking on doors, launched my first business, seven figures, e-commerce, selling uh, high-end blenders and juices. And then I, I got to eight figures in the second year. That's all in Australia. And then started scaling to uh, over 30 countries. And then since then, uh, I've launched a consulting business. I've launched other e-commerce businesses. And then I, I uh, pivoted to an a consulting business in late 2017, uh, helping businesses fundraise and helping with development in the blockchain space. That got to seven figures in less than six months, also bootstrapped uh, due to circumstances. And then um, founded a VC fund and became a partner at a law firm. And now, as you said, I'm launching another e-commerce business. I'm bootstrapping it on purpose uh, to, and, and filming the entire process. It's a six-figure business in, in about six months. And it should hit seven figures run rate by uh, the end of the year. Wow, that's pretty intriguing. And I am very excited for you. I love how you're taking the bootstrapping approach because I'm seeing a lot of folks, including with what I'm doing with one of my own ventures, we're taking sort of a bootstrapping approach. We're looking to keep things extremely simple. And part of my own consulting work with companies is looking at some of their processes and asking the question again and again, what would happen if we didn't do this at all? Okay. Actually, that's a really good question. I'm going to write this. What would happen if you didn't do this at all? I'm going to remember yes. this and brainstorm it tonight. So I, wasn't, I didn't have that mindset. The mindset of scarcity breeds creativity. I have that now as a regular reminder. It pops up, I think, once a month. I did not have that mindset. Back when I was making seven, eight figures, I started off with that mindset, completely with that mindset. But then I got to a level where I was so comfortable that I, I, didn't, I didn't have visibility to my finances. So that was mistake number one. My right. finances, my accounting team was not doing a good job. And without that visibility and me getting comfortable and you know, hiring someone there, $1,000 a week, you know, we making tens of thousands a week, nothing. And one there, one here, one there. And they just stack up until you have a team of over 100 people at one stage. Um, and uh, that's where... I did not see what my CEO now uh, has shown me over the last two years is that when you've got a lot of resources, they'll find something to do. Something that can be done in, in minutes could take hours or days, and I'm not over-exaggerating. Something that can be systemized or a software that can do it, people would do it manually. Why? Because they have the time. So I've done this mistake time and time again, and I've realized over the last 20, 12 months, especially the last 12 months, that scarcity is so important. And I was listening to another interview with a guy, I think the founder of Hims. Have you heard of Hims and now they launched hers? They have um, yes. male grooming products. I think it's male grooming products. I could be, they started with hers and now they have Hims. Um, I think it's female hygiene products. Correct. I could be, could be uh, perfect. Exactly. And, and I loved his interview. And he, had, he mentioned that scarcity breeds creativity. And he's absolutely right. And he, his mindset is that he doesn't hire someone until they absolutely need to. There's a balance though, Adam. So when you have, when you have a team that's, you, you don't want to overload them. 
And that's where prioritization comes in. So you've got to balance it, but not giving your team so many things and they lose focus, which I've done this mistake as well. And that's where we have a prioritization system. They have to have, you know, what's number one, number two, number three. They always check up with me or their manager on the priority of everything they're doing. But at the same time, you don't want to make them too comfortable. So you want to push them. A good leader, there's a book about it, multiplies. A good leader would push team members to the edge. And then while they're just about to break, take two steps back, let them build up again, and then push them again. But now the edge is that, that far ahead. And that's always been my management approach, especially more recently. It's just been naturally myself. I love pushing people, but I, I'm, I'm self-aware when, when I have to take a step back. Um, and it works really well. It doesn't work with all team members. You'll have people quit, but they're the people, in my opinion, that are not in the, they're not well-suited to grow with you. So I agree with you. That minimalistic, simplistic approach, that scarcity, it, it, it does breed creativity in different ways of doing things. It breeds creativity. It breeds efficiency as well. They go hand in hand. There's an analogy that I saw on a television show a long time ago, and I've actually heard about this in other places. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it to you sort of like it's, it's a story. And I think this kind of illustrates the point when it comes to looking some of the things we think we have to do in business, things we have to do to grow a company, the things we have to do to be successful. And imagine that there's a man and he is in the kitchen. He's helping his wife prepare dinner. And he notices that his wife cuts off the end of a roast before putting them in the pan. I and he asks that. his wife, uh, yeah, and, and he said, he said, honey, why did you cut off the ends of the roast before you put it in the pan? And she said, well, it helps it absorb the juices better. It helps it cook better, and it makes for a more delicious roast. That's what my mom always told me. So the man found it interesting, and he went to his mother-in-law. And he said, you know, my wife told me that she learned from you to cut the ends off the roast before she puts it in the pan. And his mother-in-law said, yeah, absolutely right, because it allows the juices to absorb better, it helps it cook better, and it makes for a better roast. That's what my mom told me. And then he decided that he was going to go to his grandmother-in-law, who happened to still be around. And so he went to his grandmother-in-law, and he said, he said, Grandma, my wife and my mother-in-law have told me that there's an old tradition in your family where you cut off the ends of the roast before you put it in the pan. Why is that? And his grandmother-in-law said, we were poor. We didn't have a big pan. It's the only way you get the roast to fit. I've heard this before. And it's, yeah. it's, absolutely, it's so important, not only in business, but in life. I was speaking to someone um, not long ago. I can't remember. I've been traveling for seven years. I can't remember which country, some Eastern European country. And they're like, hey, you don't cook with olive oil. They were telling the there was a guy that was cooking that cooks my food and they say don't cook with olive oil, and I just thought you know have you ever asked why like where did you get that information oh you know everyone knows this in the in the village, that that mindset really irritates me because it it leads to decisions let's stick to business it leads to wrong decisions doing things because everyone else does the same if ever if you do the same thing as everyone else how are you going to be ahead of them. So question everything. I have another reminder that comes up. I have a lot of reminders that come up on my Asana, the uh -huh. project management tool. Every day I get new ones. It's, it's like monthly or weekly, depending how important. And that reminder says question things. I think it comes from um, the guy from the uh, PayPal mafia. Um, I'm really bad with names. Well, Peter Thiel. Yes. So Peter Thiel does, as says this, question everything. And I have to, every time I, I take, you know, five minutes, question all the different things we're doing, why we're doing them, is that the best way, the most efficient way of doing it? 
and then I'll write down um, all the questions that I came up with. So questioning everything allows you, to, you know, to take risks. But when you take risks, so when you question something, you got to, you know, not only question it, but also if you think it makes sense, test it. Can you do something differently? But when you test it, don't go all in. Throw some pebbles, like Jim Collins says. Throw some pebbles, right. test it, try it out. If it works, double down. If it doesn't, it means your test didn't work. Move on to the next thing. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting, Mario, is you've uh, quoted people like Jim Collins and Peter Thiel. And it's great when we look at those who have blazed the trail before us and discovered how they've done it. Now, at the same time, you've mentioned to me that, generally speaking, entrepreneurs should avoid most online business influencers and gurus. Now, I know that's not completely possible, but I think you're telling us something by urging us to be careful about who we follow and to avoid most of them. So what's up with that? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, I say one thing there, I say most online entrepreneurs or gurus, whatever you want to call them, uh, are the ones I, I think you should follow very closely are the ones that are self-aware, not they say they're self-aware, they're actually self-aware and very objective. So there's someone, I was speaking to someone today about Naval Ravikant. Not sure if you've heard of him. Very, you know, big name in the, um, I think he's the Y Combinator, entrepreneurship, fundraising, etc. Sure. Very, very, very smart guy. And Naval is a very objective person. He never pretends to know things. He's not opinionated. He says, he explains something, but he's very objective about it. What do I mean by this? You get a lot of entrepreneurs that say, do this or do that, or that's how I achieve success. That's how you will achieve success. Say, hold on. That's how you achieve success. Are you sure this is the reason? How much luck, how, how was the luck play a big role in this? Is that just your anecdotal experience? That's your experience. Does that mean it will be the same for me? And when you listen to many different people, you get different messages. And people are like, man, all these different people are saying different things. Who do I listen to? Listen to all of them, but take it with a grain of salt. One thing you can do is listen to many entrepreneurs and then see what's, what are things in common between them. So what are the things that you hear? If you listen to a lot of people, read many books, what are the pieces of information that many repeat? Like if, you, if it's about diet, for example, many dietitians give you different information. How do you find out what works? Well, look at what they all say. And then if something they all agree on, it is probably something that's true. You should eat your vegetables. I don't think there's a diet that says vegetables are bad. So that's something that's good. Entrepreneurs or anyone in entrepreneurship will say you have to work hard. Okay, we know that's true. Another one, another thing they say, you know, we were with, they might, they might mention we were at the right time, at the right place, at the right time. And that's so important because timing is one of the most important things in a business's success, according to research. So if you hear many entrepreneurs mention, hey, it's about timing, or let's, let's go more granular. If many entrepreneurs are talking about the importance of customer service, a lot of, there's a new book by David Meeman Scott. I just, today he emailed me about it, he emailed in, in his uh, email uh, blast. Right. And in that book is about customer service and treating your customers like fans. Another, there's a lot of books that have come out in recent weeks and months and even last two years about that. That means this is something that many agree on. So, and it is true, customer service is so important now because marketing is getting so expensive. So when you're listening to entrepreneurs, listen to ones that are objective, self-aware, they, they question their own thoughts and they still admit they're learning. Avoid the ones that pretend they know everything because if you just listen to them and no one else, they could lead you to the wall. Their feedback, their, how they made their money back in 2005, 
might not apply now because there's different competitors, the market is different, different ways to, to advertise. Everything has changed. So um, that would be my conclusion. Just be, take things with a grain of salt. Listen to a lot of influences to take you know, uh, advice from different people. And sometimes they might disagree. They might clash. Um, and test. Always test to see what works in your industry, in your niche at, the, at that time. Because um, it's always different for every, every industry, every entrepreneur, different time, etc. Yeah, you know what I found is that sometimes folks will discount the message just because they're not a big fan of the messenger. And I have learned so much by listening to people who personally I don't like or I don't resonate with because just I think it might have something to do with that very fact that I don't really resonate with them or I don't really like them because it separates any sense that I have that, oh, they're probably right about most things because I like them, because I connect with them, and allows me to see them more objectively. And hey I, hey, I may not like this person so much, but they do happen to have a lot of verifiable success, and maybe something that they have to say here could be relevant to me. So I see way too much of that in our societies that's become polarized today, that people will just completely reject a message just because of the messenger. And I think that that's very unfortunate and at the same time I look at the folks doing that and I say well they're gonna be easy to outrun because all you I mean you, you put identity and and virtue into things and you sometimes miss some very important points that's very dangerous if you do that if you're that close-minded where you you're gonna not listen to someone because you think they're wrong that even myself it took me years to even open a LinkedIn account because I just wanted to be in a position where I'm comfortable putting myself out there. It took me years and a lot of successes and failures before having my first podcast um, not long ago. And now I'm doing a lot of them. It took me years right. to build that audacity. So I never pretend I know the answer. And I never, you know, another reminder I have, listen to every person like to have something interesting to say. Because in many cases they do. So try to learn from every single person you speak to. Now, of course, you're not gonna. You gotta pick who you listen to. Otherwise, you're gonna waste your time. But when you, if you choose someone that has achieved success, you've done something right, and then most likely there's at least one thing you can learn from them. Right. I sent a quote to one of my team members actually not long ago. When is it? Two hours, one and a half hours ago, and I'll quote it for you. It's in one of the emails. Did you know that Jeff Bezos says the number one sign of high intelligence is the willingness to be open-minded and challenge your your own way of thinking? Yeah. That's it. It's that simple. Right, 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 right. That's, that's very true. Now, here's another interesting thing about Jeff Bezos, and this is something that I've actually been saying for years, and people have told me that because I say things like this, that I somehow don't have a grasp on what it means to be a leveraged entrepreneur. After doing his thing of running his billion-dollar companies and being in charge of Amazon and his work with the media and everything else, else he does uh you know what jeff bezos does after he comes home and has dinner very curious to know he washes his own dishes i've heard that yeah true yeah and the reason he does it is because taking the time to do a rote task that does not require ingenuity creates a space in his mind that allows new creativity to come in 
it's for the same reason, Mario, that although I do have a, I do have a tax advisor and I do have a CPA, a certified public accountant, and I do have all my tax filings and everything done by professionals, when it comes to documenting my business and personal expenses in the QuickBooks, I actually sit there and manually do the entries myself. And I do that for two reasons. Even though I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be leveraged and hire a bookkeeper because that's below my pay grade. There's two reasons I do it. Number one, because I can't think of a better way to get hands-on with the finances and where my money's coming and going. I mean, it's one thing to look at financial reports and to look at summaries, but to actually look at every single little piece as I enter it and notice the real-time changes to the debits and the credits and the balance sheets as I enter each item. And if I notice that I'm entering a lot of the same item, wondering what's going on with that. If I notice I'm entering a lot of charges, what are those charges really for? It gives me a perspective on the cash flow picture of my business that I'm not going to get looking at graphs. And then the second reason is because that takes me about an hour a month to do. I mean, I'm pretty streamlined about it. We have a very simple business model. So most of the expenses of the business are routine. So it doesn't take long. But at the same time, it is kind of mindless work. And I found that while I'm doing stuff like that, all kinds of innovations and creativity come into my mind. In fact, I'll have two things in front of me. Um, to my left, I'll have a bank statement so I can go ahead and enter those charges. And on the right, I'll have, I'll have a notepad because I'll usually end up writing a few ideas down. Yeah, you're so right. Many people are agreeing with you right now while listening to this podcast and doing such a task, cleaning the house, doing the dishes, sitting in a train, going for a walk. Um, but cleaning is one such, or driving, going for a drive somewhere. So yeah. it, it's true. And it's important for, I think, look, me and you understand the differentiation between doing a, a, a task, a rote task, where you can actually focus on other things. And a lot of the best ideas come while people are having a shower, etc. That's how, how, why I always wear a smartwatch. I've got a recorder next to me in bed, and, and I've got a notepad always with me as well. And I've got my phone in the shower with that you know, waterproof bag in case I get an idea or want to search something up. So I completely agree with you there. But it's important for... Um, you know, people that are new in business to understand that this does not mean that you should do every little small thing in your business because it's a repetitive task and you get the opportunity to be creative. There's room for creativity, but you also need time for execution. So you have to delegate most of those tasks right. and keep some of the foundational ones like doing your books. And even if it's very you know, repetitive, whether it's business tasks or personal tasks, it allows you that, you know, one or two hours a day, if you, if you spend that time, doing such tasks, but at the same time, listen to a podcast or coming up with ideas or just walking. I started doing that as well, Adam. I just yeah. walk, I switch off everything. I don't have my phone and I walk for five or 10, five to 15 minutes. And my goal is, it's almost like meditation. My goal is to not think of anything. And what happens is you come up with those ideas. I read that somewhere in, in tools of Titans and it works. Yeah, I don't uh, have a rigorous workout program, but I do walk every day. I belong to a gym that's right around the corner that has a, a good uh, walking and running track. And I can go up there for a couple hours. I'll take a fully charged iPod and sometimes I'll actually run it out because I'll be walking for so long. And it's not overly strenuous, but it's really good for me physiologically and it's good for me mentally. I remember 20 years ago, when I was in my early 20s and I first started going to gyms, and I had a rule even back then. My cell phone does not go in the gym with me. I don't take it with me because there's no way that I'm going to be contacted 
while I'm in there. I see folks that will go into the gym and they'll have their cell phone that's ringing and they're answering all these calls. I'm thinking, what the hell are you doing? You've got an hour a day probably to focus on you and you're letting this intrusion come in. I remember one time very early on, and remember this was you know, 20 years ago, I was in my early 20s and maybe people thought differently that I didn't have my phone in the gym and one of my buddies wanted to hang out that evening. He actually had me paged at the gym so he could ask me what I was up to. And I came down to the desk and I took the call and I found out what he wanted because I'm thinking, you're having me paged here. I'm guessing somebody in your family died. And he's like, oh, no, no, I just wanted to see what you were doing. I said, I'm at the gym. Don't ever try this again and hung up. I said, time alone, time to focus. Yeah, yeah, because we don't have a lot of that anymore because – there is so much going on in the world. We're expected to do so much more with so much less. And we're getting bombarded with instantaneous information from new media, from social media, from advertising media. And things are just going so fast that if you don't take a little bit of time each day just to pace it, your physiology will step in and will slow you down when you least need it to. Uh, absolutely. Look, I, I'll agree with you there. Now, I think it differs between different people. There's no formula, but generally right. speaking, yes, the human brain needs to rest. Like my, uh, my brother, who's also my COO, he's a very smart guy, but when he, like we're having a, we have every weekend a meeting in the company, and it's something we learned from the um, uh, Walton, uh, Sam Walton, Walmart yeah. guy, to always have weekend meetings to be a step ahead of competition. And we've been doing that for years now. And it's, my brother's part of that meeting. And he, we were having it on Sunday, and I said to him, you know, what did you, what did you do today? told me what he did. I'm like, well, so what did you eat? And uh, what else did you do? I'm like, whatever you did, do it every day because he has so much energy. And every time his answer is, I went out and saw some friends. I'm like, every weekend do that. His productivity is through the roof. He's more optimistic, yeah. more positive. He's more driven to do more work. So I, I agree with you. I, I don't go through this because I don't burn myself out anymore. It's very rare that I do unless it's a crisis situation. So I'm in a position now where I don't. But if you're an entrepreneur starting out like when I was, when you're grinding, you'll, you'll do a lot of work potentially, but your creativity will, go, will, will die. So if you want to be creative, you have to leave time alone. Another thing to do, your phone right now, put it on, turn off notifications. Yes, yes. I've had, Adam, I've had notifications off for, I, I don't even know how people can have it in. When I hear it ding, I'm like, how can you live like that? I have notifications off all the time. I don't have a direct number. I've been traveling for six years. And, and ongoing so I've always been traveling but my landline always forwards to to the office I haven't had a direct call in because no one can call me so you no one can call you in the gym me whatsapp is the only way whatsapp and skype and yeah. it, it, there's only certain times where I have it open so that definitely um is key that focus focus actually today I was listening to a podcast and the person that was speaking is a billionaire he was on I can't forgot the podcast name and he's mixergy, I think. And he said, um, focus, I, I focus is the most important reason I am where I am today and the most important factor for my success. Now, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's true, so if it's that important, but it's definitely one of the biggest things for, uh, for being successful. You know, you know this, is, this is not exactly the same as what you shared, but this is just a little bit of, my thinking in terms of how to streamline things. I mean, we have so many different ways of communicating with folks and you've shared with us that the only way to 
make anything resembling a phone call with you is to use your WhatsApp. And uh, I know that when you apply to be on the Business Creators Radio Show, we have your WhatsApp information for emergency purposes for this uh, for this interview. And I do something that's not exactly the same, but it does have to do with streamlining, is for those folks who are able to call me, meaning people who are my, um, who are my allies in business or my clients who pay me money, what they do is they call a toll-free number that has an extension. And then after they press the extension, it does a thing where it says, please state your name and we will attempt to locate your party. So they say their name and it attempts to find me. Now, when they, after they press the extension and say their name, it'll ring out to all of my various devices, applications, my Skype and what have you, and it'll attempt to connect to me. If I'm able and willing to receive the call, I can answer it from anywhere. If not, it goes to a voicemail and then I get an MP3 of that voicemail. I can't remember the last time I've logged into my voicemail. In fact, most times I don't even listen to the voicemails. I, if they're calling me, I usually have a, a guess why they're calling and I just call back and I say, this is about X, correct? And 95% of the chance, 95% of the time, I'm absolutely right about that. So Mario, come, folks will say, well, that's great, but what's your cell phone number? I say, you already have it because when you dial that toll-free number, it'll ring my cellular phones. Well, what if I want to text you? And I say, well, I don't want you to text me. What I want you to do, if you want to have a chat or textual conversation, is make friends with me on LinkedIn or Facebook and use my messenger. Because, and this is the key, Mario, when I use my cellular phone or somebody dials a cellular number, I have to have that device close to me which means if I'm in a work scenario, which means I'll be on my laptop or my desktop, I have to kinesthetically interrupt what I'm doing by moving my hands to pick up the device. However, if I'm receiving a call through the desktop or the laptop, or I'm receiving a message through the desktop or the laptop, I can continue to look ahead and keep my hands in the same place. So it's less of an interruption to me to be able to field these conversations. The other key is, when you're using that type of forwarding service for your calls, or you're using something like Messenger, which can be installed on any device anywhere, I can seamlessly move from my computer to my laptop, to my smartphone, to my Chromebook, to my tablet. I can, without even telling the person BRB, I'm switching, I can just pick up and move. And that's actually one of the standards I have for communication, which is I have to be able to do the same thing on any device at any time, or I'm not going to use this app, period. That's really interesting. What's the app called? Uh, for, my, for our phones? Uh, mm. Ring, Central, Ring Central, which is one of the oldest ones out there. So ringcentral.com, and uh, you, know, you, you dial my toll-free number, and, uh, it'll, and I have it set up. You can set it up many different ways, but the way I do it is the one where you press an extension, so it comes to my extension, and it'll say, uh, it'll say you know, please state your name. So you'll say Mario Knopfel, and it'll say, one moment while we attempt to ring your, ring your party. Now, if I'm able to pick up the call when I see it or if, I, or if I'm in a place where I'm able to see it, and I, I, I'll push a button, and it'll say, you have a call from, and then it'll be your voice, Mario Knopfel. Now, knowing it's you, I'd probably pick it up. Uh, if I don't recognize the name, I might not. Or if it's a situation where, uh, you know, I know I need to speak with this person, but later, I'll just let it go to voicemail. And then the voicemail, as I said, will be sent to me as an MP3 so I don't have to log in anywhere. 
And since that MP3 will come through my email, I'm able to access the same email through all of my devices. So I'll get it at the same time, no matter where I'm logging in. It's really cool. I would, I actually wrote down the website. I might look into this for some team members. I would have used it two years ago. It would have helped us tremendously, especially for our, hmm, that's really yeah. cool. I have a, I personally, I'm in a position where I don't, the only things I check personally are my WhatsApp and my email and that's it. They're the only two things that I personally check. Everything else, a LinkedIn, my social media is vetted by other team members and then they, only the messages that are direct, that need my attention, they ping me, they say, can you attend to that person, this person? I have the so, same um, thing. I have the same, oh, I have same thing. Yeah. I, attend, I attend to two social networks myself. And everything else is the exact same thing. Other people manage it. And if they, and if something comes up where it really needs my attention, what they'll usually do is they'll say, yeah, that's interesting. And in my voice, they'll respond in my voice. And they'll say, tell you what, that's really interesting. So how about you hop over to my scheduler at schedulewithadam.com and let's make 15 minutes and chat about that. Perfect. There you go. And, and it's then, so efficient. And you got to train yeah, those people too. Exactly. So I have everything set up. Um, logistically so that I can go from meeting somebody to social media all the way up to them being on the phone with me without me personally having any communication with them whatsoever and better yet and better yet the way the system is designed is when they when it when they fill out to schedule the call with me it asks them what they want to discuss so they'll give a summary of it and since uh, it also asks things like you know what's your name and what's your email which usually gives me their domain I can know that I have a call at two o'clock and at one fifty, I can start looking at who this person is. And at two o'clock when they call in, I can say, Hey Mario, what's going on, man? Like you exactly. and I have been chatting back and forth for weeks, even though it's my first interaction with you. Exactly. Exactly. Now I'm, I've got the same system and, and I feel like you're the same as me. You can go tomorrow, disappear for a year and come back and your business will still be there running. We're not quite that far yet, but here's my emphasis is um, I have a small, I have a private consulting business that really is based on me. It's because I really enjoy doing it and I don't want to leverage it and I don't want to create other little atoms. But we're also creating other ventures that are based on the leverage and saleability model, such as our podcast booking agency and another company we're going to start in the fall. They're based on the idea that all of the functions of the business can be hired out and it can ultimately be a saleable asset. So rather than try and force one business, which really is not leverageable and make it leverageable and thereby ruin its character, I decided instead I'll just start other businesses that have that capability. I've got so many notes from my, from my call. And I think what you said now is, is so important. You said that the business, the consulting business, is, is not one where you can just step away and let it run by itself. And right. you know, if you said that two years ago, I would have disagreed and given you many reasons. But now I would think twice. It's just so difficult to step out from a business that depends on people. I did that in 20... Yeah. I built the consulting business in 2017, 2018. The one that got seven figures in less than six months. And it was growing so well. It was going, hiring like crazy. There was yep. a stage where we were hiring every day. And because I was behind the scenes, I actually didn't have LinkedIn, uh, no social media, nothing. I was very, very private. Um, that backfires for two reasons. Number one is clients wanting to pay us six, seven figures, those big clients. They didn't know who the founder is. They said, we can't find anything about him online. He seems like he owns the company. We did our due diligence. 
but there's nothing about him online. And then you have to say, hey, right. he's private, right. etc. That's number one. But number two, the people that are put as the face of the company, especially one person, and I wanted to get them on podcasts, I wanted to promote them, put their name on in news articles. So they were the face of the company. And I said to them, hey, I want you to be the CEO soon. Run the company. My weakness is trusting people. And uh, I've got an interview all about this uh, situation, what happened. I was essentially scammed for 10 months, screwed so badly by someone I was close to on a personal level as well. I got to know them personally. And um, that's what kickstarted my personal branding where I started doing interviews. I launched LinkedIn and social media, et cetera. And it's one of the best things that's happened to me, the personal branding that I've started. But it yeah. was because I stepped away. I was focusing on other businesses, new ventures, and it gave them the freedom. People in, within the company didn't even know who I was or that I was the founder, at least wow. junior people. I was only working with the senior team members. And uh, they took advantage of that. And they built it over 10 months. Um, and it was a pretty, pretty intense event. So, yes, it is very difficult to uh, you know, build your consulting business to be a McKinsey's where it's like a, a, fun, right. a, a, you know, a machine that operates by itself. Plus, if you love your work as much as I do, I never stop work. I can disappear tomorrow, but I just love work too much. Correct. Um, you know, there's no reason to, to, to do that. Yeah, you, you know, um, I, and I've seen this before, folks who say, well, but, uh, but you got to take a vacation. You just got to turn your stuff off. Well, what, what about what I've done, which is I basically designed a lifestyle where actually I can turn my stuff off whenever I feel like it but I don't feel like it's something I need to escape from. See, that's, I think, is part of the programming that we have seen socially is you, you work 50 hours, you know, you work 50 weeks a year, and then you have these two weeks for vacation. One of the weeks you stay at home and you work on your house, and the other one you get away to some tourist mecca for a few days. And to me, I think of why not have adventures all the time? I said to you earlier that not everyone is the same, and that's exactly right. why. Um, I said that the human brain needs to rest to be able to be very productive. But that rest could be reading a book, which is business. It's helping you build your business. Could be thinking of new ideas for your business. Um, could, be, could be something within your work. Because working has many things. You can sit there taking customer calls if you're in e-commerce or taking client calls if you're in consulting or putting out fires. Or you can sit there coming out with new ideas, new strategies, talking right. to management to implement them. And they're different things. One could be relaxing for you. It could be like taking a holiday. And for me, it is. When I'm, I've been traveling for six years, whether I'm in Europe, the U.S., Dubai, Australia, I'm always, um, you know, always working. You know, there's photos of me working on a camel, right. on an elephant. Um, and, and that's because I enjoy it. But at the same time, I don't enjoy being scammed and dealing with that issue or having clients suffer because of the scam. So those things I don't enjoy. And they're the things I need to break from. So instead of saying, I need a break from work, I need a break from certain aspects of work. And the only thing I do other than work is I love dancing. I dance pretty much every night, go out uh -huh. for one or two hours. That's my only exit, at least in the last two years, out of work. But I could, you know, I, I love dancing. But if I didn't have dancing, I'd still be the happiest man alive because I genuinely enjoy, enjoy work. Exactly. So, you know, we've been looking at different ways of looking at different things. So... There's a question that I know you wanted me to ask you. Is there a formula for business success? Oh, not at all. I said this earlier as well. There's no formula. That's why when you listen to all these people that tell you what the formula is, there's no such thing. Um, you know, do my course and you'll make a million dollars. Do my course and you'll build it. There's no formula for success. 
there are just certain things that if you do them and you do them right and you prioritize them correctly, they would help you succeed. The most important thing for me at least is timing. For anyone listening to this, he's got another tab open. You can go search Bill Gross, G-R-O-S-S, TED, T-E-D. So he's got a TED speech. It's one of my favorites. It's actually my favorite. And he talks about the various factors that lead to a business's success. And there's the product, how good the product is, the team, the, how much funding they have, their business plan, and the timing of their business. Among all those things, the most important factor was actually timing, followed by the product and the team. Uh, I think product team or team product, I can't remember. But timing was more important. There's many other Amazons that were made, that were started before, way before Amazon. And they didn't succeed for various reasons. Just mainly the time wasn't right. Bill Gross started yeah, YouTube no. with the goal of, of, um, of being YouTube, which is video streaming. That was the goal of what um, Bill Gross created with his company. But it was too early. The internet was too slow. It failed. The timing was off. And then YouTube it was the right time. They started as a dating app, but they pivoted to video streaming because that's where the demand was. And they wouldn't have done that if not for the timing. So timing is the most important thing in business. But it's not a formula for success. It's just a matter of putting all the pieces together but making sure you're doing the right thing at the right time. It's that, it's that simple, really. Yeah, and, uh, and that was the other thing, we, and I mentioned this at the very beginning, we were going to cover the most important factor to launch a successful business, which is timing. And we can go back to Jeff Bezos of Amazon once again, and there's a meme of him that I love, uh, and it shows – basically two pictures of him side by side. The picture on the left shows what he looked like in about 1999 or so, the year 1999 when he was just first starting Amazon. And you have him, he has a really bad haircut. He's wearing a sweater vest. His shoulder's a little hunched over. He has that real tentative posture and facial expression. And the caption above that side of the meme says, hi, my name's Jeff, I sell books. And then on the right-hand side, you have... You have Jeff Bezos, and he's, he's walking upright. He's got a shaved head. He's got his reflecting sunglasses on. He's wearing his black T-shirt with his black slacks and his black vest. And above that caption, it says, I'm Mr. Bezos. I sell what the fuck I want. Mm. Yes. So what we see there is adaptability. And somebody oh, exactly. has exactly. the ability to recognize that rather than just be an outlet that sells books – to recognize two things, that so you could take the same platform and use it to accomplish different purposes, and at the same time being smart about what those are and having the willingness to get out of things that aren't working for you rather than double down on them. You have to learn when to pivot. Um, yes. Insanity, what does Einstein say? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. You have to know when to pivot in life, in business. So uh, if we focus on business, if you're doing something, it's about when to pivot though. Because you can't just pivot, have the, the shiny object syndrome. Do one thing, didn't work after a week, do the next thing. No. Right. It's just about balance and timing it right. So if you're doing something, as I mentioned earlier, you throw those pebbles. Well, you test it. You try it in the market. You work, you work, you work. Once you reach a stage where you say, look, I've done everything I can. There's nothing more I can do. And it's not working. Then you can break down why it's not working and pivot accordingly. So look at the market. The market will tell you where you should pivot. I didn't start selling blenders. I was selling other products door-to-door uh, -door before blenders work. When it work, when something works, if you're starting a business right now, if, someone's, if your audience is mainly entrepreneurs, if they're starting a business, 
when you land on something that someone is willing to take out the money from their pocket and pay you that ten dollars, that fifty, that hundred, that thousand, that million dollars, whatever your product costs, when you get that one sale, that's a proof of concept, and that's when you double down. So you throw a lot of these pebbles. You could lay, you could take you months before you get that first sale, but when you get it. Break down exactly why you got it, and that means you landed on something, and then explore it further, double down further. But it's all about that one pebble hitting the hitting the target, and then you get the cannonball ready and throw it there. So um, I agree, I hundred percent agree with you there. But if you're throwing pebbles and then you run out of damn pebbles, you gotta understand when to pivot. But it doesn't have to be a major pivot. You talked about Amazon. Amazon sells whatever they want, but they started with books. Right. And then they, 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 they expanded beyond that. And, and Amazon failed. They've tried many different things. Some succeeded, some failed. It's about testing a lot of things and seeing what works. Correct. And correct. You, mentioned, you, you did mention one thing earlier about the formula for success. I said there's no formula. There's one thing I do mention. Um, there's a study done that shows that conscientiousness is the most important factor for, um, for success. And that includes four things. The two less important points are being a perfectionist, funny enough, and being organized. And if you think about it as business people, you know, me and you, Adam, will understand that doing, you do your books because there's some things that just got to be done right. The, the product has to be really, really good for people to, to share it, to talk about it, to write good reviews. The product is paramount. The books are key. Your team members, you have to, put, you have to you know, get as close as, per, as, as possible to having the perfect team members because those things need to be done right. So that perfection is really important. Number, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't delegate. It just means that you should delegate correctly, delegate to the right person, etc. So perfection and organization. If you're not organized, you're never going to get anything done. But the two more important things are working hard, which is just common sense. You have to work hard. Um, what's his name? Far out. Mark Cuban. Um, he's always hustling because he says there's another younger punk trying to you know, eat his lunch. So he's always working really, really hard. And that's one common factor. As I said earlier in the interview, you've got to listen to many um, successful people, whatever you want to call them, influencers, like gurus, but listen to them and learn from them and see what, what are the factors they all mention. And one of the obvious ones is that I've never heard a, a self-made um, entrepreneur say they haven't worked hard. So working hard, but the most important thing is working smart, is doing the right thing, calibrating your compass. I would, I would say working smart, doing the right thing at the right time. And that's where you, know, you could work your ass off. I'm sure there's someone working harder than me and you, Adam, somewhere in the yeah. world. There's many people. But they're not doing something that's going to make them a million dollars. And there's people working less than me and less than you and making, at least for me, making more money than me. I don't know about how much money you make. But I'm sure there's people significantly more wealthy than me. And, and Jeff Bezos... Uh, I have a feeling he works less hours than me now. So it's, it's, I work because I love it. I don't have to work that much. But if, it's about finding out where I should put my time. Because I could spend Great. months building a product or a business, and it's not the right product or it's the wrong time, etc. And it, it, I wasted months of my life. Yeah, very, very true. And, you know, and there's a time for what my grandmother used to call stick-to-itiveness, stick-to-itiveness, sticking with something, and uh, a time when you really need to – reassess. And one of the things I share inside my book is, and I come back to this again and again and again, is the difference between activity versus action. And I see this a lot in startups. And I've been involved in a number of startups where there's activity, which means we have 
lots of meetings and we take minutes and we vote on the minutes and we discuss getting a lead generator going and we discuss what are we going to do with the website and what technology we're going to use and blah 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 then we have team retreats where we make powerpoints and we develop marketing plans and everything else and what i've noticed with some of that stuff is that it seems like it's valid for almost one entire week until some other idea comes in. And then we get to have another conversation, another round of meetings, and another question of, well, what happened to that thing we decided upon two weeks ago? I give a simple piece of advice that helps to break that pattern and create a pattern interrupt and get people focused on doing that stuff but doing it in a way that works is get a paying customer. Because when you're in startup mode and you have nobody to serve, you have all the time in the world for meetings and retreats and PowerPoints and everything else. When you got a customer on the line that's giving you money, you got to deliver for that customer. Now you're going to do some real learning about what sells, how to sell it, how to make revenues, how to make profits, and how to use your systems to deliver that product or service effectively so that you'll get great results and other people want to buy it too. You've made such an important point, Adam. For, for meetings and now, I've been through this. I'll talk about businesses that are already making money and then I'll go to startups. For businesses already making money, I went through a stage where I would have the calls, give them all action. That's why I kept hiring more people because I kept giving everyone action steps. I love the meetings because I come up with ideas like yep. crazy. I read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love coming up with ideas. And then I have calls after call, giving ideas like crazy. And then I'll find out later that when I check back, like, what the hell happened to all these ideas? So uh, you, I heard you curse, so probably I should curse like I usually do, being more careful. So I, I would curse. I'd be like really pissed off. Why weren't they done? But then it's my fault because I called them, gave them a new idea and another idea, assuming they'll prioritize, assuming they won't lose focus. But that was a mistake of mine. People will lose focus. Not everyone is really organized. As I said, conscientious. One of them is being organized. Not everyone's organized. I had one person, for example, her name is Andrea. She's organized. She knows what needs to be done. She knows what to prioritize. I can give her a million things. I know they'll get done. It's just a matter of when. And she'll tell me when it's something's going to take long because she has other things. But other people will not be that organized. And when you give them a lot of tasks, nothing gets done. Um, so being busy, you'll, hear a lot of, you'll see them, a lot of those people at events and expos, etc. They love giving out business cards, meeting different people. I've met them all the time. I know those people. When I meet them, I immediately know. They're very, very busy. When someone's busy, they're doing nothing. They're not executing. They're not, if they don't have time to spare, it means they're not organizing their time right. Being busy doesn't mean being productive. It's more, you know, it's like an adrenaline rush. They're doing it for the enjoyment rather than achieving something. Now, you mentioned startups. For startups, forget meetings. Cancel. Forget, don't waste your time with those things. Just focus on one thing. Get it out of the way and move on to the next thing. Stay very focused. Um, and actually, look, meetings, I'm against meetings, especially for, uh, even for bigger companies, especially yes. for bigger companies. It's such a time suck. Um, there was a, it was all over the news. Um, Elon Musk you know, sent a memoir to all his uh, team members, and I copied it and sent it to my team, where he says, guys, I want you to just close meetings. I cut down my meeting time. Um, Adam used to take, I used to have one-hour meetings. No more than 10, 20 minutes. Five minutes, 10 minutes. I tell people to walk out of meetings. I have people that I used to have one project manager that would jump in all the meetings that we have ongoing to make sure that everyone that's in that meeting has a purpose there. And we have a stenographer in every meeting that will take action steps at the end to make sure things are implemented and people are not chatting for the sake of chatting. So I'm not a fan of meetings. 
Well, here's a tactic, and I've used this for years, actually, that, um, and you can take this home with you, and this is for our listeners as well, is let's say you have, and this is particularly for if you have a team or an organization has a regular status meeting or a regular team meeting or something like that. Here's what you do. You set a role that within 48 hours, it has to be at least 48 hours before the meeting, you turn in. And it can be a simple email of bullet points. It doesn't have to be a term paper. You share three things with everybody who's going to be in a meeting. You share what you're working on, what you need support on, and what ideas you have to move the organization forward. That's it. What you're working on, where you need support, and what ideas you have to move the organization forward. Because when you get into that meeting, you're not talking about what you're doing. You don't, we don't need to take up 40 minutes of the 60-minute meeting so everybody can read off the bullet points of what they're doing. No, 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 no. Written down. So now we can get straight to the point of, Mario, I, you know, in your report, you mentioned that uh, you have this um, community relations initiative, and you're looking to uh, get more corporate sponsors for our charitable initiative. So I was thinking about that from your report, and here are some ideas I have. See how we've already made the meeting more effective? Exactly. And, and I'll put it into perspective for, for any listener, or for not any listener, for listeners. How many people would you have in those meetings, for example? Those status meetings they have, let's say, once a month or once a fortnight? Once well, a let's say eight people. Let's use the number eight. eight. Oh, perfect. If it wasn't working. All right. Eight people. Let's say they get paid $50 an hour. So that means for every, you got eight people, $50 an hour for every hour, you're paying $400. So if a person's going to sit there talking about what they're doing and everything they've been through and their feelings, their emotions, sure. But if there's eight people listening, that's $200 wasted listening to that person with nothing productive done. I mean, that's why the more people you have in a meeting, you should, you know, there should be less we used to have one status meeting and we'll probably have it every once in a while where everyone in the company is in that meeting, but it's usually me speaking and briefing everyone. If they want to say something to me, not everyone has to hear it. They say it to me directly. Now the, the meetings where everyone can speak are those smaller meetings where only relevant people are there. Two, three right. people max. Very rarely do we have meetings with more than three people. Right, right. Like with my social media team, for instance, we meet once a month. And uh, the reason we meet once a month is simply because we noticed that if we didn't meet at all, nothing tended to happen. So that once a month is when I have the time to share um, any updates to strategic vision. And they will have already told me what they've been working on. And we'll have, and it usually comes down to about 15 minutes max. It's just a matter of um, setting priorities for what we're going to do with our social media for the next 30 days. But just the fact that we're doing it every month, we're doing it every 15 minutes, creates one check-in point and one recalibration. And the impact that's had on my business has been tremendous. Adam, I'm a very objective person. I'm very self-aware as well. And I'm very humble. I'm always learning. And I'm saying those things because I mean them and I know these things about myself. I've got a million weaknesses. Now, why am I saying this? Based on what you've said so far, we're agreeing on many things. I've actually taken a few notes. And I'm saying this to actually recommend your book. If this is what's in your book, I highly recommend it because the things you're saying that are so important, some parts are extremely important for an entrepreneur starting out. Other parts are very important for someone that already has a business. And other things we've spoken about are important for both. But they're so crucial whether, you know, the, the simplicity, the simplicity how it breeds creativity when, when you don't have, uh, what was the, um, the quote I mentioned? Um, uh, scarcity breeds creativity. 
the importance yes. of simplicity and product development and developing systems and everything. Everything you think about, copywriting. When you're writing a website, a page on a website, keep it simple. People don't want to guess what you're trying to mean. Be very clear and direct. People are just, it's too busy. It's too many messages now to try to find out or understand what, you, what message you're trying to, to, to put across. Keep it very clear. Keep the design clear. I tell my team, going back to simplicity, whenever you create a banner, a website page, a, an email, anything, if there's any image, any word that doesn't need to be there, doesn't need to be there. There's no purpose to put it. The less you write, the better. So if you talk about simplicity, you talked about the importance of focus, having no interruptions, um, and you talked about different tactics of how you achieve that, meetings, how they're inefficient they are. This, these are, we've touched on such, so, so many important points that if someone does execute on all these things in their business, prioritize, focusing on the right things at the right time. If you're a startup, don't worry too, many, too much on, on um, simplicity and minimalism. Just, just focus on hustle, working your ass off, and uh, being productive. So it's about prioritizing depending on where you are in your business, but they're so important, the things you've mentioned here, and, and I'm guessing they're in your book as well. Oh, well, you're absolutely right about that. Now, believe it or not, Mario, we're right at the top of the hour. We have about two minutes left, and I want to give one of those minutes to you to share with our audience um, what it is that you do for business creators and how somebody can engage with you. Yeah, I don't usually, I'm not used to doing this because I've been doing interviews and, and just going to incubators, etc., helping entrepreneurs because I love the hustle yeah. and I love doing it. But I've started now taking it a step further. The team recommended I do take that step further. So I've launched, if you go on my website, marionoffel.com, and on there, um, there's a link that would take you to the launch pad that I started, which is pretty cool. A lot of people will sell you a course, a program, which a lot of them are valuable, and I do have a, a touch of that in there in the launch pad, but I also take it a step further. I have a mastermind, but many people have masterminds. They're very, very valuable, but even Tony Robbins and Dean Grandiosi are doing their own mastermind with Russell Brunson. If you go mastermind.com, uh, they'll teach you how to do it. So not only program a mastermind, I said, what can I do to take it even a step further? Well, when I obsess over something, I really obsess over it, Adam. So I've actually given anyone that goes into that launch pad, and then we're going to keep it small. It's not a sales tactic. You'll see why we need to keep it small. Full access to my company. And when I mean full, they can listen to my calls with management. Now, you, this is something that most businesses, actually all businesses that I know of, don't do this because it's very risky. Well, I've, I want to give it a try, where anyone that goes in the launch pad can listen to me, speak to management, come up with strategies, discuss marketing, whatever it is, they can listen to those calls and learn from me managing my companies and have one webinar a week with me and my management to ask any questions they have. So they'll have a program, of course, to, to learn what I've learned over the years from my own experiences and, and listening and reading books. They'll have a mastermind with other people that are even more successful than me that I'm yeah. bringing on board, but they'll have access to everything that I do to run my companies. All right. Awesome. We can find that at your website, which is marionoffel.com. Yep. Noffel, N for Nelly, A, W for Whiskey, F for Fred, A, L for Larry. Awesome. Well, Mario, I got to tell you, it's been an honor and an education having you on the Business Creators Radio Show. So I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us and share some of these great insights. And uh, I've taken a few notes as well, and I've discovered a few things I think are going to be helpful for, for my business as well. I've done the same. I, I genuinely mean it. I've got notes right here. When the interview ends, I'll go uh -huh. through them. I'll tell you what I've learned. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. 
where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.